We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia where this podcast was recorded and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi, I'm Daniel Moore, and you're listening to a Hearing Architecture mini-episode. In this mini-episode, you're going to be hearing from Nick Brunson. Nick started a multidisciplinary practice called Post Architecture, which is now transformed into the simply named studio Nick Brunson. He also runs a practice called Space Market, which is an urban program pairing disused spaces with useful people. Nick's experience working locally and overseas has shown him many different ways of achieving great results in the built environment. By broadening the diversity of his portfolio, Nick has a multifaceted perspective on what the value of architecture means. Here's Nick speaking with Imagine Committee member Jess Beaver about the value of architecture. Nick, could you give us an overview of, I guess, your kind of key trajectory in architecture up till today in practice, whether it's education, advocacy, and I guess those projects you just mentioned now that you've undertaken? Yeah, my my experience, I think, as much as I try to not be, is that, you know, I'm really kind of quite broad and a generalist um, in that, you know, I... I've got quite, well, you know, my, my experience has been quite diversified as in from, you know, my time in the Middle East working on ridiculously large projects, you know, 20 million to 500 million, you know, um, dollar big, you know, commercial corporate um, work all the way down to the tiny and the fine grained and the um, really, really small stuff. Then, you know, through to, to tertiary, you know, through education, through government and policy writing. So, you know, like large scale, broad impact um, you know, upstream, uh, you know, the policy that shapes the way that the built form outcomes of the state is coming together. Been leading that for the last year through Design WA with the state government of Western Australia. Um, and then my practice, which, you know, works here in Western Australia, but also over east and also internationally. So um, broad cultural experiences, which I think is just all inputs that make the way you see the world different and gives you the ability to take things and reinterpret them and, um, and bring them into different varies, you know, varied outputs that you, that, you know, come across your desk as the way you practice. Yeah, I think you're right in that. I guess it's almost like, you know, architects should go travelling because you see the world from a different perspective. But I think having the opportunity for you to have projects in other spaces gives you that firsthand and then an even closer grain to the labour, the trade, the construction, you know. Yeah, definitely. Like um, I haven't spent uh, a bit of my education just being a labourer. Like I spent six months on building sites, just, you know, laying bricks and picking up rubbish and sweeping floors and, you know, building windows and doing all that sort of stuff just because I knew that, you know, at some point I'm going to have to be telling these people, you know, that they've either done something wrong or it doesn't quite look how I want it to look and, you know, that it's much better to actually have that hands-on experience to um, come from a, or speak from a place of realness or I think the word's lost all meaning, but authenticity or just, you know, personal experience. Yeah, so again, just I think that a diversity or a real breadth of, um, of education and that's personal education, you know, that's not just through your tertiary education, that's, you know, actually either through reading books or travelling or through your jobs or through experience with people or just asking people questions and listening to their answers and hearing stories, I think is, um, 
almost the most important thing you can do to actually make yourself a great architect or become a better architect is, you know, it's just learning constantly. Cool. And I guess, um, so going into that, I guess, next question. So this diversity of experience you've gained through all these different facets, has that changed your views, I guess, on the value of architecture as a general concept? No, I don't think it's changed my view on the value of architecture. It has has changed my view on what the word value of architecture means to different people though, that there isn't one all-encompassing definition. It's, you know, it's a kind of, it's a transferable thing that, you know, you've got to sort of almost put yourself in the other person's shoes. Like who are you talking about from the government and policy writing position? You're trying to put yourself in the shoes of, you know, residents, but you're also trying to put yourself in the shoes of policy writers or regulators, the people that, you know, are um, trying to enforce the policy or understand the policy. But then you're also trying to understand it from the position of the producers of the architecture, so that being the architects or um, you know the developers or the builders, or even real estate agents. So you know this this kind of word value is really kind of quite slippery, and it just depends on you know whose head it's currently resting. But you know I think like everything, you know it's, it's the idea of quality, and quality is the thing we all strive for, and there's a varying there's a sliding scale of what that quality might be, and we're all just trying to do our best, or you know level up from the position where we currently are. And then, so I guess, moving between private practice, public advocacy roles, why do you think people should know about Design WA and not just the state itself, but on a national and and wider scale? Well, I think Western Australia is a pretty unique position in that, um, well, you know, we're actually feeling it more than ever now with the idea of our distance um, being, you know, well, the tyranny of distance being both something that's an obstacle to go overcome, but actually kind of this beautiful truth that, you know, we actually are quite separated. Although digitally we do get brought closer together, um, but the distance is something that I think gives us space and time to actually ponder some things. We don't just take everything on board as it comes. We don't, you know, I was just speaking the other day to a friend saying about how, you know, we do look to the east, but I reckon we actually look more globally than almost to the east. I think Western Australia has a really great kind of international and global perspective, and um, I think things come to us and we sort of, we adopt them, but only when they feel right, rather than just, you know, aping what's happening on the east or aping what's happening anywhere else. So I think Perth is a sort of an emerging design consciousness. I don't think it's there yet. I don't think, you know, if you do look at places like, say, Brisbane or um, Sydney or Melbourne, there is a kind of predominant style, as in, you know, the, the designers there have worked out the appropriate climactic and material response to that place. And I don't think we're there in Perth yet. I think, um, you know, there's a few people having goes at it. But there hasn't kind of been, you know, almost a Darwinian evolutionary winner yet. It's still chipping away at it. And I think that's maybe the excitement of being here is that, you know, you're part of that kind of that formation or that formative period of, you know, what, you know, this next phase of, of living in, in Western Australia will be, you know, and, and actually, you know, being a real part in shaping that. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see what the city and what suburbia looks like in Perth in particular in five or ten years' time when these new policies come into place and, you know, those, those new multi-developments or the, um, the grouped housing is built and you start to see this new curation of community and development and, uh, yeah, like you're saying, it's kind of maybe it will start to change the face of Perth and WA and create this new language that is iconically Perth or West Australian, but... Um... Yeah, like, I think, you know, like, you think about Brisbane, you can picture the Brisbane, you know, like, 
breezy, raised, you know, as in like modern Brisbane, you know, very yeah. folks like Peters, uh, Lineberg, Wang, um, you know, that, that kind of Owen, that, that sort of aesthetic or, you know, not even aesthetic, functional, performative, you know, architecture. When then you think of Sydney and, you know, I'm thinking more kind of, you know, softer, material sensitivity, clever spaces that kind of, you know, sort of lead to each other, but, you know, have a, a lovely kind of dark light interplay. And then you think of Melbourne, which, you know, has its own aesthetic going on, you know, almost kind of fairly pomo, bright colours to fight against the, you know, the dark, the grey light, very, you know, kind of intellectual facade aesthetic going on. And I just don't think we're there in Perth yet. We don't, you know, when you say Perth, like, what is Perth? Like, you know, you know, at the moment we're just as simple as like, is it Jarrah and limestone? But that's to me just too simple. Like, you know, how do we actually deal with our hard light and our hot climate and our winds? And, you know, is there a correct or appropriate architectural response to that. And um, once we find that, how do we make that become prevalent or predominant? At the moment, you know, it's a, it's a market-driven and a financially-led outcome. You know, we're just sort of maximising footprints and, you know, creating these hermetic boxes that we chuck an aircon on, ignore our neighbours, ignore our street, ignore the um, um, celestial conditions and, the, you know, the local breezes and winds and suns and opportunities and, and you end up with these kind of just, you know, cookie cutter, bok, 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 all the way across the suburbs. So, yeah, for me, that's going to be the challenge of the next 10 to 15 years is how do we, you know, with our climate changing, with our social conditions changing, how do we create housing and just buildings and architecture that is, like, responsive in the right ways. Yeah, great. Um, thinking about that language of Perth, I guess, as well, what do you feel makes, I guess, good architecture and design and what are those items that, I guess, hold value to society and maybe even, in particular, you know, valuable to, to Perth and WA? Um, yeah, value, it's, it's, again, it's a really good question because value, again, it's that kind of that subjective definition, you know, in the eye of the person who it's been created for. And I think it's almost like trying to make real something that's there or that's always existed or to emphasise the latent opportunity of whatever project is or whatever the site is that you're working on. So, yeah, I remember that the former government architect of WA, Jeff Warren, said once, and I'm not sure where the quote was from, maybe it was his, he said that um, you know, people think architects are problem solvers, but we're actually opportunity creators. And I think that that's really, really apt, is that you know, every project, I think the best outcome is always to create an opportunity that wasn't there before. And, you know, that can be as simple as getting the orientation right or getting pointing north, getting sun in a living room, getting breeze through, um, you know, a living space or creating a garden. You know, it can be as simple as that. But then, you know, it might also be opportunities in terms of financial opportunities or um, cultural opportunities. So on a larger development, actually understanding the community in which you're working and creating um, spaces for you know, emerging businesses to come and congregate or um, to support local businesses to thrive and prosper or, um, you know, anything like that. I think, I think it's, you know, again, it's that value of the kind of the plus one. It's take, taking, taking what it was to a space further than where it could have possibly gone before, but without doing it in a risky way, but doing it in a real just um, calm, deep understanding of what is there and what needs to be shown. Yeah, I think... Um it is just about thinking further. It was almost kind of thinking outside the brief, isn't it? And thinking further to just, you just want the best result for the, for the people, for the end user. I think, you know, it's, it's sort of more than anything, it's incumbent on us to leave anything we do and anything we touch in a better state than what it was before. 
And that's, you can do, you can be a good architect by satisfying the brief, but you've almost got to create these circles of influence outside of, you know, the work you're doing and the project you're doing and saying, okay, well, this is this project, but what's the context of this project? And then you have context in, you know, financial context, cultural context, social context, and try and understanding those spheres of influence and what your building can do and can add and potentially create to those things. And, um, you know, understanding that we're, we're living in a society, we're all interconnected, and that nothing happens in isolation. So working, working with your group, your brief, with your client, with your project to do more. Yeah. And so um, I guess thinking on the other side of good architecture and values, do you feel like there are any particular constraints and opportunities that exist with, I guess, especially within Perth and WA that are more present than elsewhere in Australia? And um, is there anything that is being done differently to other work being done that you see as an architect or as an educator or policy kind of advocate? You know, we're in that really important formative period. You can see the, the shape of the, the mature adult that it can be, but it just needs some strong parenting and some good guidance and some, you know, um, some care at this point to get, get us to that, that place. And um, so to me, that's the excitement is that, you know, you're coming, you're working in a place that doesn't quite know itself yet, that um, is still, you know, crying out for, for leadership, still crying out for strong voices, for, um, for, you know, a vision of what the future may look like. We're not a city that's reached maturity yet. We're not about, we're not in a holding pattern. We don't know ourselves fully. We're still open to opportunity and possibility. And that's what to me is really, really exciting about being here is that, there's also not this need to have to kind of like pay your dues or, you know, bide your time. Like if you come here with a good idea, you put your hand up and say, here's my idea, you will be supported. Like there are people who are, there's an amazing network of people here who are after the same thing, which is, you know, a vibrant, thriving, exciting, mature city to, to live, raise our families and, you know, all play and work together. And to me, that's the most important and exciting thing about being in Perth at this time. And then I guess so in private practice, you know, as an architect, you provide the value to the client in a number of ways and that's always ever-changing depending on the brief, I guess. But I guess um, you give that value through, you know, good design, communication and providing those long-term outcomes for the user and for the wider context as well. Do you perceive that there's more challenges or, or more things you might need to think about when you look on that wider spectrum versus the the one-on-one with the client in private practice? Yeah, look, I think, I think it's a good question. I don't think it's one that's easily answered or easily solved. It's sort of just more everything as in, you know, we just, we need to do everything better. I think there's always, you know, there's always a, a common complaint about, you know, architects talking to architects. I don't mind that. Like, I think that's still, it's almost just professional development. And the better we can get, the better we can service our clients and the better we bring everyone else along with us. But there has to be a paired thing going along with that of kind of a public education or you know, design literacy in the public. Like, why should I care about design? Because at the moment, there's, you know, there's a conception that, that design is expensive and it's not for me or that it's for rich people or it's about aesthetics when, you know, great design is about fundamentals and performance and things that, that really can enhance your quality of life and that are almost, you know, invaluable. So, you know, in the times of COVID as well, we're all spending more times in our home. Um, I think that that's becoming even more present, the idea of, you know, what a good space is and what a well-designed space is compared to like what a poorly designed space is down to the bare essentials of 
daylight penetration. You know, some people live in houses that just never see the sun or that you never see the sky because you've got eave to eave, you know, boundary to boundary. Or, you know, just hard surfaces everywhere and you have these, you know, urban heat islands that actually create, you know, rising um, mortality rates. You know, social isolation, you know, driving in your car, into your garage, out into your living room, into the TV. So there's just like no opportunities for neighbourly interaction or, you know, building a sense of community. So there's all these things that, you know, at the really, really simple societal level and the way we live with each other, next to each other, that are so important. And they don't need to be big discussions about philosophical movements from you know, Italy in the 1860s. They're just about fundamental human needs and conditions. And so I think that's the work that needs to be done really broadly. Um, needs to be done at every level, you know, federal, state, local. It's been carried by a couple of local champions here. Open House Perth do that really well, which is, you know, opening up pieces of architecture and buildings across Perth just so that, you know, there's kind of this voyeuristic uh, element to it. But also, you know, as humans, we know a good space when we stand inside one. And the more people we can get standing inside good spaces, the more people will want to demand those spaces at their own homes, their own places. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think generally it's, um, yeah, it's not an easy answer. There's no magic bullet here. It's just more everything all the time. Yeah, no, I think you're 100%. I think, yeah, Open House Perth is a massive element and similar facets like that to give the general public access to something more that they could usually not ever see or or touch. But I guess um, it is that wider advocacy from local, whether it's industry groups or um, union kind of based or um, institute based. I think there's just so many different people that just all need to team together, I guess, to, to bring about this positivity yeah. and this change. Um, yeah, and there's opportunities as well that, you know, it, these things we're talking about, they don't have to be resident in the field of architecture. You know, we can easily be done across um, Planning Institute of Australia, the uh, Urban Design Institute, the Landscape Architecture Institute. Like, I think the things that we can champion or advocate for are actually pretty um, prominent and resonant across, you know, a lot of these big bodies. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for listening. This has been a mini episode of Hearing Architecture, featuring Nick Brunson and Imagine Committee member Jess Beaver. If you'd like to hear more interviews with architects from around Australia, please keep listening to Hearing Architecture on your favourite podcast app. The more support we get from you, the more episodes we get to make. So if you'd like to show your support, please rate, review and subscribe to Hearing Architecture wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is a production by the Australian Institute of Architects, Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. The Institute production team was Stacey Rodder, Madeline Jenkins and Claudia McCarthy, written and directed by Daniel Moore. To learn more about what the Australian Institute of Architects is doing to support architects and the community, please visit architecture.com.au. This content is brought to you by the Australian Institute of Architects, Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. This content does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. This content does not constitute legal, financial, insurance or other types of advice. You should seek independent verification of advice before relying on this content in circumstances where loss or damage may result. The Institute endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or will become inaccurate over time.